Hey there, spooky nerds. You hear us mention our Patreon, packed with banter-free mini-episodes and historic hilarity every month. But you also don't know if those banter-free mini-episodes suck or not. A real conundrum during these expensive, troubling times. So here's a free sample. This is part two of Secret Storytime's four episodes on Papa Tony and Grandma Susie Alamo, two total scumbags who use the word of God to scam a lot of vulnerable people out of all of their money, while also selling some really popular designer denim jackets to celebrities. If you like what you hear, just drop by www.patreon.com slash humanfuckery and sign up to gain access to our other episodes. Subscribers also get early and ad-free access to our monthly competition podcast, Human Fuckery, as well as bonus content and special voting privileges. It's the best way to make sure this podcast keeps existing and to support small business owners who make free stuff for y'all. We hope you enjoy this free taste and come to hate the Alamos as much as our team does. They really were the worst. Okay, so let's recap. When we left off, Bernie Hoffman and Edith Horn, two poor Jews who bolted from middle America to hustle through California, had met, banged in a hotel room, decided they were God's chosen leaders, and started a weirdly successful evangelical sect in the Hollywood area. They divorced their respective spouses, married each other, then changed their names to Papa Tony and Grandma Susie. This newlywed, newly named pair rooted their new church in the Book of Acts from the Bible, which mandates devotees give all their money to the church and pool resources in a communal fashion. They had inherited a suburban two-bedroom house from a dying lady and stuffed 200 church members into it as full-time residents. And please, picture like long-haired hippies and former homeless folks sleeping in cheap bunk beds or kitchen floors. If none of this sounds familiar to you, go back and listen to Kimberly tell part one of this series first. Anyways, point is, two scrappy con artists had a good thing going in California. A couple of hundred people were signing over their entire paychecks to Tony and Susan every week. And even if most of those paychecks were from part-time gigs, that's still a lot of money in 1960s dollars. More than enough money to start fucking a lot of shit up. Gary, hit that sound tag. Let's get weird. Music Square Church was going viral. Papa Tony and Grandma Susie were both kind of intense, but kind of charismatic. President Bill Clinton once wrote that Tony Alamo was, quote, like Roy Orbison on speed, which is an insult to Roy Orbison, but still accurate. 
Music Square had enough money to start recruiting in other cities and expanding their locations. After police ordered they remove 190 people out of that inherited home, the Alamos grabbed cheap land about an hour north of Hollywood in an area called Agua Dulce. They set up a live-in church with a restaurant attached and started driving people. They pulled off Hollywood Boulevard there in a van to, quote, get saved. Also, the perfect place to save souls was nearby. So Tony, Susie, Susie's daughter, Susie's grandkid, and some chosen acolytes headed to Las Vegas to see what kind of lost lambs they could grab. Unfortunately, Tony and Susie's poor leadership was already starting to show behind the scenes. For starters, Papa Tony had started coming on to Grandma Susie's still teenaged daughter, Christiane, who already had a baby of her own with another church member. Susie, noticing her husband's fixation on her sexually mature daughter, started coming down extra hard on Christiane instead of the creep she married. And while theirs was a ministry that preached abstinence from drugs and alcohol, Tony didn't always think those rules applied to him. According to Christiane in the documentary Ministry of Evil, things came to a head when Papa Tony showed up butt-ass naked and began forcing himself on her while in Las Vegas. Their late-night encounter became so loud as Christiane tried to fight off Tony that the noise woke Susie, who stumbled out of the bedroom to find her husband naked on top of her partially clothed daughter and immediately blamed her teenaged offspring instead of the grown-ass nude guy. She called Christiane a whore and accused her of trying to, quote, <laughs> steal her man because paunchy middle-aged dudes who look like late-stage Elvis impersonators are totally what teenage girls want to steal. Oh, shit. How? Christiane was beaten by Grandma Susie and some parishioners like a new inmate in a prison bathroom for, quote, tempting Tony. The Alamo ministry preached, pain cleanses sin, and so radically encouraged and condoned the beating of women, children, even men on occasion, as it would allegedly save them from hell. Once the bruises healed, Christiane was still shunned as a Jezebel for months. Unsurprisingly, Christiane pretty soon decided she wanted out of this shit show. Though the church itself was succeeding and expanding, and her entire livelihood tied to it, she made a plan to exit peacefully. There was no convincing her that physical abuse and hard labor was saving her from hell when she knew her mom, who never received any beatings and made all the rules, was a thief, sex worker, fornicator, and adulterer who hypocritically condemned thieves, sex workers, fornicators, and adulterers from the pulpit every day. Though it took over a year, Christiane finally worked up the nerve to say she was taking her babies. There were two by this point. 
to start an independent life in the worldly world. The attack that followed would scar Christian forever. Grandma Susie stated that Satan was making her ungrateful daughter say these things, and the devil needed to be beaten from her body. And so Papa Tony and several adult church members savaged Christiane until she blacked out. When she woke up, she was alone, disoriented, and concussed in her home. But her children were gone. Susie, Tony, and the church had taken them. Christiane did, thankfully, call the police and file a report for assault and kidnapping. Once the Alamos got word kidnapping charges were coming, the missing kids magically materialized and no formal charges pressed. But Christiane was disowned and cut off from all family earnings after only ever working in the church. She was also harassed by church members as a fallen soul via phone calls and letters. Incredibly enough, Christiane was one of the luckier members of the Alamo Christian Ministry because at least she got out with both children and only minor head trauma. <sighs> While these attempted rapes, assaults, and other assorted felonies were going on behind the scenes, outwardly, the Alamos were doing great things. Recruitment efforts worked, and with new members came new, guaranteed monthly income. The Alamos started driving Cadillacs and making deals with television producers to create one of the earliest church-on-TV shows. They recorded tapes and records of their sermons, selling them at all church locations and businesses. By 1975, Papa Tony and Grandma Susie were pulling in so much cash, they purchased 250 acres of land in rural Arkansas. Why Arkansas? Well, in part because the California government was starting to suspect the church was committing tax fraud, and in part because this particular piece of Arkansas was remote enough to be ignored by most people, but still close enough to the interstate that Tony and Susie could make a quick escape if they needed to flee the law. And yes, Tony and Susie spoke openly and often about choosing the location because they predicted one day the law would come for them. They told their flock this was because the Vatican was working with the U.S. government to abolish their church for spreading the true word of God. This is one of the least insane things Papa Tony and Grandma Susie preached. Tony wrote often and vitriolically about the Vatican and Pope, referring to the latter as the great whore. He stated that Jesuits formed the United Nations to oppress all of mankind under the one world order and asserted the Vatican was the reason for the American Civil War, writing, the war would have never been possible without the sinister and secretive influence of the Jesuits. We owe it to popery that we now see our land reddened with blood of her noblest sons. Lincoln said, I cannot give liberty of conscience to the Pope and his followers, the Papists, so long as they tell me that their conscience orders them to burn my wife, strangle my children, and cut my throat when they find their opportunity. 
It should go without saying that while Abraham Lincoln did speak out against the Catholic Church, the Civil War was about slavery and states' rights, not killer Catholics. But Tony also preached the gays are possessed by demons, UFOs are visiting angels, the mark of the beast will be made using laser beams, and that the ten horns of Satan mentioned in the Bible are actually ten European countries. So, yeah. Dubbed The Ridge, the Arkansas property became the Alamo's new HQ. A large church was constructed. Houses were built to accommodate the ministry's families. A school was erected and opened, staffed by unpaid church members, so the group's children never had to mingle with the outside world. A drug rehabilitation center, also staffed primarily with unpaid church folk, was established. A restaurant, complete with a stage for music acts, was installed. This one staffed entirely with unpaid church members. This restaurant was less a place for church members to eat and more a way to launder money under the guise of a legitimate business. Though it would briefly become a pretty popular dinner spot in quiet Arkansas, because that's how desperate Arkansas is for shit to do at night. And of course, a massive 13,000 square foot mansion, including two pianos, crystal chandeliers, a solarium filled with tropical plants, a five-car garage filled with luxury cars, and a custom in-ground heart-shaped pool. <sighs> All of this was designed for Papa Tony and Grandma Susie, the central nervous system of the Ridge. The house was a monument to their prosperity, an allegedly proof from God that he was pleased with the ministry. The building was also a promise to their devotees. Every church member, Tony and Susan promised, who worked hard enough and devoutly enough would eventually be inducted into the Cadillac ministry. Once they achieved Cadillac status, they too would be given a similar mansion of their own. They just had to recruit enough members for God to smile on them. Tony and Susie used prosperity incentives like Cadillac status regularly. While no one got a mansion as nice as theirs, those who did their bidding without question or complaint did have houses provided for them. Free schooling and childcare was also provided for families, making it an appealing organization for single parents and poor folk. When the money was good, the Alamos gifted cars or stereo systems to their favorite members. If other acolytes asked why they hadn't received similar gifts, they were told they needed to pray more, fast more often, and sacrifice more for God to gain his favor. They also used one of the oldest griffs in the evangelical book, pretending Grandma Susie had cancer. Whenever tithing was a little slim, or Tony and Susie needed some extra cash fast, they would announce the terrible news that Grandma Susie was afflicted with terminal cancer, and the only way to save her was donating more money to God. 
Vigils would be organized with frenzied prayers, music, and pleas to the Lord to save their beloved Susie. With collection plates being passed around aggressively, children in their schools were made to pray specifically for their grandma for several hours a day. The Alamos would also solicit donations via their mailing lists and businesses. The scam worked brilliantly. Money poured in, and Grandma Susie became a figure of resilience and strength, taking the pulpit each week to proclaim how all the prayers and money were healing her. And because she never actually had cancer, she looked fucking great doing all of it. Her blonde hair teased and quaffed. She would smile into the camera for their TV show and testify about the greatness of God eliminating every tumor in her body. This survivor story even pulled in new church members, vulnerable and desperate patients willing to try anything to get the same excellent results Susie did. But while God may have smiled on Grandma Susie, Karma did not. And so Grandma Susie got absolutely fisted by cancer around 1980. According to her daughter, as well as reports from members who fled the church after her death, doctors opened Susie's body to assess just how bad her cancer was and then closed her back up, said sorry, and advised her family to start making arrangements. She was so riddled with disease that trying to remove any of it would only cause her pain. While speeding what was her very imminent demise, she withered away in a matter of months. As she weakened, Papa Tony was tasked with taking over her responsibilities, notably becoming the sole preacher for their massive congregation. Grandma Susan Alamo died of breast cancer that had metastasized to everywhere else on April 8, 1982, at a hospital in Oklahoma. She was two weeks shy of her 57th birthday. Papa Tony's announcement of her death was colorful. According to Benjamin Risha, the adopted grandson of the Alamos raised in the cult, Tony lashed out from the pulpit before a packed church saying, she died because you lack faith. Every one of you lacks faith. Her death is on your hands, like the Hebrews in the desert who worshiped the golden calf when Moses went to get the tablets of the Ten Commandments, you all worshiped your own golden calves. For some of you, it was watching sports. For others, it was your bellies and others, your children. For the record, Susie mulled a pack of cigarettes a day, every day for decades, and also, Loving your children has never, and we mean ever, given someone else cancer. But everything was still going to be okay, Papa Tony told his sheep. Not because God loved them and would support them through their grief, but because Susie was, according to him, the prophet foretold in the book of Revelation. Revelation says that two prophets will be killed in the end times and both come back to life, 
which is how you know it's the end times. So it's not until we have two confirmed zombies that the end is truly nigh. Tony explained that she was going to rise from the dead just like Jesus Christ did. All that needed to happen for Susie to resurrect was for her flock to demonstrate the devotion and sacrifice they had failed to during her previous year of decline. It was all hands on deck at all Alamo Foundation locations. From California to Arkansas, to their newly established locations in Tennessee and Brooklyn, acolytes were commanded to drop everything, coordinate shifts, and pray in 24-hour constancy for the resurrection of Grandma Susie. Her embalmed and tarted up body was placed in a casket within a glass display not making any of this up, and put in the Ridge Church, where members could come lay hands on her and pray over her relentlessly. They would take turns doing this for three days, whereupon Susie would rise from her casket. Those not in Arkansas were supposed to participate remotely by praying over her photo, but Susie did not rise after three days. For some reason, God has decided to keep her in heaven longer, Papa Tony announced during services on the fourth day. We will continue to pray until she rises. And so the mandatory nonstop vigils continued. So did the Alamo Christian Foundation and its congregants successfully perform necromancy? You'll have to come back for part three to find out. And even if you think you already know the answers, do come back because you haven't even heard the part with the slave labor and Michael Jackson's jacket yet. <laughs>